On today's headline update show for Ranting Politics, we cover vaccine injury compensation begins, IRS whistleblower haunts Hunter, and a real-time breaking headline, Must SpaceX Starship Down in Flames. Today we have an important development to discuss as the United States government compensates individuals injured by COVID-19 vaccines for the first time. This marks a new chapter in the ongoing COVID-19 vaccine saga. Three individuals have received compensation through the Countermeasures Injury Compensation Program, the CICP, a program run by an agency within the Department of Health and Human Services. The payment are as follows. $2,019 for a person who suffered severe allergic shock, $1,582 for an individual with heart inflammation, or also known as myocarditis, and $1,032 for another person who also experienced myocarditis. This is a significant milestone, as these payments are the first instances of the U.S. government compensating individuals who were injured by COVID-19 vaccines. Under the CICP, those who survive vaccine-induced injuries can receive financial assistance for unreimbursed medical expenses and lost employment income. However, the recently granted compensation seems to only cover medical expenses, as pointed out by Wayne Rode, author of The Vaccine Court, in an interview with the Epic Times. He criticized the low compensation amounts, calling the program unconscionable. In the past, most payments were for individuals injured by the H1N1 vaccine, and some received hundreds of thousands of dollars. Eight individuals received at least $106,000, and the highest payment on record is $2.2 million. Now, this avenue for compensation is a little different, as the CICP is the only way for individuals to receive compensation from the federal government. This is due to the COVID-19 emergency declaration first issued during the Trump administration. Most vaccines administered in the United States are covered by the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, the VICP, which offers more extensive compensation and legal support. To be eligible for CICP compensation, individuals must prove a casual connection between the vaccine and serious physical injury or death supported by compelling and reliable medical and scientific evidence. They must also show unreimbursed medical expenses or lost income due to an inability to work because of the injury. As of April 1st, over 8,000 applications have been submitted to the CICP alleging injuries from the COVID-19 vaccine. Hundreds have been denied due to insufficient medical records or other issues, while thousands more are pending review or currently being reviewed. Only 23 claims have met the standard for compensation thus far, with three being compensated so far. The remaining 19 approved applicants are still waiting for their compensation, with 18 suffering from myocarditis, pericarditis, or a combination of both. The other approved claim is for angioedema, a skin condition. Now, in this developing story, there is a crucial distinction on how payments to injured recipients will be compensated. So we would like to take a little time here and provide a quick overview on the two different programs that administer payments for injuries and how it impacts your decisions. Now, the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, 
the VICP, and the Countermeasures Injury Compensation Program, the CICP, are both U.S. government programs designed to compensate individuals who have experienced adverse effects from vaccines. However, there are some key differences between the two programs. For the scope of the programs, the VICP primarily covers vaccines that are routinely administered in the United States, such as those for measles, mumps, and rubella. The CICP, on the other hand, specifically covers vaccines and other countermeasures that are used in response to public health emergencies, like the COVID-19 pandemic. For legal support and potential compensation, the VICP, remember the non-COVID program, generally offers more comprehensive compensation and legal support to claimants. For instance, claimants can have their attorney's fees covered, and there is a wider range of categories for compensation. The CICP, in contrast, has more limited compensation and does not cover attorney's fees. Remember, the CICP for COVID-19 falls under the emergency declaration that largely shields vaccine makers from any liability at all. Now, there are different standards for the burden of proof. To receive compensation from the VICP non-COVID, claimants must show that their injury is listed on the vaccine injury table or provide evidence that the vaccine caused their injury. For the CICP, claimants must prove a casual connection between the vaccine and their injury or death, supported by compelling, reliable, valid medical and scientific evidence. The burden of proof is generally considered to be higher for the CICP. There are also funding differences in the programs. The VICP is funded by an excise tax on each vaccine dosed, while the CICP is funded through appropriations from Congress. So the funding for the CICP program can go either way, depending on whom is in control of Congress. Lastly, big difference in the time frame for filing claims. The VICP allows a longer time frame for filing claims compared to the CICP. Claimants have up to three years from the onset of the injury to file a claim with the VICP, whereas the CICP requires applications to be filed within one year of the injury. So to sum it up for you, the CICP focuses specifically on vaccines and countermeasures used during public health emergencies, such as the COVID-19 pandemic, and has a higher burden of proof and more limited compensation. An IRS supervisory special agent has come forward seeking whistleblower protections to share information with Congress about alleged mishandling and political interference in the ongoing criminal probe into Hunter Biden's taxes. The letter, first obtained by the Wall Street Journal from Mark Lytle, the attorney for the IRS whistleblower, states that the agent is overseeing the ongoing and sensitive investigation of a high-profile, controversial subject, which sources have confirmed to be Hunter Biden. The agent claims to have information that contradicts Attorney General Merrick Garland's sworn testimony before Congress on the investigation. In March, Garland stated, quote, I have pledged not to interfere with that investigation, and I have carried through on my pledge. However, the whistleblower's letter alleges that there are contradictions to sworn testimony from high-ranking political appointees, 
a, quote, failure to mitigate clear conflicts of interest in the ultimate disposition of the case, examples of preferential treatment, and politics improperly infecting decisions and protocols that would normally be followed by career law enforcement professionals in similar circumstances in the subject were not politically connected. Some of the disclosures would contain taxpayer and tax return information. The handling of the case has been a subject of internal wrangling, with IRS and FBI investigators and Justice Department prosecutors disagreeing about the strength of the case during internal meetings last year. A final decision on charges rests with U.S. Attorney for Delaware David Weiss, a Trump appointee who has been kept on to oversee the case. As lawmakers expand their probe into the Biden family's pursuit of foreign business deals, concerns are growing about potential cover-ups and false testimony from Attorney General Merrick Garland, House Oversight and Accountability Chairman James Comer, and House Ways and Means Committee Chairman Jason Smith have expressed their commitment to investigating these allegations thoroughly. The whistleblower, whose name has not been made public, alleges that two Biden DOJ political appointees have blocked career officials from bringing criminal tax charges, calling into question Garland's Senate testimony. The agent's attorney, Mark Lytle, emphasizes that his client is a career law enforcement official who is not politically motivated, simply wanting both Democrats and Republicans to hear his account and be able to question him. If cleared to speak in Congress, the agent will be able to provide corroborating evidence of political interference including emails, documents, and current witness accounts. As this story continues to unfold, we are reminded of the importance of transparency and accountability in our political system, left, right, and center, to eradicate both real and perceived instances of a two-tier system of justice wherever it may lead. We have an unexpected breaking headline news update for you today. In a breathtaking display of human innovation and ambition, SpaceX, the private space exploration company founded by Elon Musk, launched the largest and most powerful rocket ever constructed. While the hope was that this test flight would mark the first step in the journey to Mars, the Starship rocket tragically exploded minutes after its launch. The 120-meter Starship rocket system, which had experienced a delayed takeoff earlier in the week due to pressurization issues, finally roared to life today at 8.33 a.m. As observers watched and cheered, the rocket accelerated only to start spitting at altitude and ultimately exploded four minutes after departing the Earth's surface. The failure is being speculated at this moment to have originated from the inability of the booster and cruise vessel to separate properly post-takeoff, potentially leading to the rocket's catastrophic end. In the face of the rocket's demise, SpaceX employees remained undeterred, cheering despite the disintegration. The company had previously warned that the chances of success were slim, stressing that the primary goal was to collect valuable data, regardless of whether the entire mission was completed. SpaceX's statement on Twitter captured the spirit of optimism and determination, remarking that the Starship experienced, quote, a rapid unscheduled disassembly before stage separation. Elon Musk tweeted, congrats at SpaceX team on an exciting test launch of Starship. Learned a lot for next test launch in a few months. This suborbital test flight, deemed the first fully stacked trial, 
paired the Starship cruise vessel with the Super Heavy booster rocket, whose 33 Raptor engine supplied the immense thrust required. The Starship, designed to carry up to 100 astronauts, is nearly as long as three passenger jets and stands 10 meters taller than the iconic Saturn V rocket that sent humans to the moon in 1969. Musk, whose entrepreneurial spirit has driven SpaceX's pursuit of interplanetary exploration, recently received approval from the Federal Aviation Administration for the launch. The Starship's rocket system's upper and lower segments are both engineered to power themselves safely back to Earth for a soft landing, enabling their reuse. Musk has argued that this reusability is key to rendering spaceflight far more cost-effective than NASA's offerings. Please like and or follow us, Ranting Politics, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or other podcast outlets. You can follow us on Twitter at RantingRP. As always, thank you for listening to our headline updates for Ranting Politics, April 20th, 2023. Until next time, take care and stay free.